Living Up to Expectations. Welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, and she called us to live to a higher standard every day. Not to be satisfied with just a little religion in life as a shallow substitute for giving God our best. As this series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who were influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Today we continue our series called A Legacy of Love with part five and six in this eight-part series. The family comes first and living up to expectations. Our guests are Frank Kohlinger, veteran Ecuadorian missionary, talking about what's really important to know about Elizabeth Elliot. And Rachel Johnson will join us to talk about the qualities of Elizabeth's message overall. How would you describe it? Rachel is the creative media director for the Elizabeth Elliot Foundation. First, though, it's Legacy of Love, Part 5. The family comes first. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking again today with Walt and Valerie Shepard, my son-in-law and daughter, Walt, I have a tough question that people are always asking me about how you balance your time with your family and your time at work. And since you happen to be a pastor, it seems to me that that's probably a really crucial question because a pastor doesn't just have a 40-hour-a-week job, does he? No, it, uh, it's hard to call it a 40-hour-a-week. I think it really helped us early in our marriage to sit down and decide what's going to be most important. In the uh, church in which I grew up, uh, I noticed that there was a trend that you always kind of go into uh, some sort of a flow upward and look for the next rung and look for the next large church. And uh, I, I remember sitting down with Val and we said together, Let's don't do that. Let's decide that we are going to make the family our priority. And it may mean we don't get some huge church someday. And it may mean I won't be uh, the real popular or real successful pastor with a tall steeple. And uh, it's kind of laughable out here in California. There are not a whole lot of steeples anywhere. But uh, it helped us to sit down and say this is going to be the most crucial uh, area. This will be priority, our family. And because it is, I uh, began to see that there were times when I'd have to say no to various uh, expectations that congregations had for me. That's not the most popular stand uh, because, again, what was working in my life during those years, those early years of our marriage especially, was this definite desire to perform very uh, desperate desire to uh, to achieve and to be successful as a pastor and it wasn't until sadly to admit this but uh, it wasn't until about three years ago that I learned that I don't have to perform my acceptance with God is already secure by Christ's work for me I don't have to perform in order to get accepted and this began to give me more freedom with the present congregation that I'm in right now 
some elders helped me sit down and look at this issue as recent as three years ago. And uh, they got around me on an elders retreat and they prayed for me. And then they said, Walt, we want to enable you. We want to set you free to be exactly who you are, nothing more. And of course, I'm a sinner still, but it helped me just to pursue the gifts and strengths that the Lord had given me and quit worrying about my weaknesses. The amazing or the immediate result of that was I could come home uh, literally singing when I was normally tied up in a meeting and uh, frustrated because we weren't going anywhere. And uh, of course, it does help to have an assistant who has a gift for administration where I'm a little weak. He's very strong and it has tremendously helped me to be able to say, I can now say no more effectively and effectually and uh, leave that stuff at the church and go home and be all there for my family. There, there are obviously some exceptions to that because phone calls still come to the home and I have to tell the kids, wait, or I have to tell my wife, I'm sorry, I'm tied up at this point, I'm going to have to go through with this. But by and large, there's a new freedom in our house as of three years ago, wouldn't you say? Yes, definitely. I remember that there were many, many nights that you had meetings and many, many mornings that you were gone early for breakfast meetings. And it was simply the fact that you were gone too much. And now I feel that you believe your family is such a priority that you make as many nights possible free to stay at home. And you also... You and your assistant and the deacons and elders have seen that meetings don't really accomplish that much. It used to be that you'd have an elders meeting once a week all the time. Now you have them once a month and you feel like you accomplish a lot more in once a month meetings than you did every week. So I'm thankful that uh, the Lord has helped you to be able to not have so many meetings. I'm sure that you did some good with all those men that you met with every morning, but you were gone an awful lot. And even sometimes I wonder, is he more at home than he should be at church? I'm even concerned, and yet I have to leave that to Walt and in the Lord's hands. Do you feel, Val, that it's important that your children should learn that there are sacrifices that have to be made in the Lord's work? I don't think that it's possible ever to make a hard and fast rule. You will have X number of nights at home and X number of hours per day. Do Mm. you think it's important and do they understand that your daddy has very important work to do, sometimes emergencies? I I think that's a better word than balance. I I don't know if we, any of us, really balance it. It's it's not a balancing act. I, I think it was you who taught me long time ago that the Christian life isn't a tightrope walk. And I, I praise God for that because it's, it's just so unbiblical. I, I sacrifice though we, that that's in the Bible, and that's what it comes down to. But can you be more specific that the Christian life is not a tightrope, because everybody talks about that all the time. How much do you sacrifice for your church, and how much do you sacrifice for your family, and why do you say it's not balance that we're looking for? It's simply that we need to sacrifice. We have to make hard choices. We have to make hard choices. And I would just say that it's not so much that I'm proud that I found a balance. It's just that I'm very grateful that you and I have discovered a priority that's going to work for us. 
and uh, it means uh, sometimes that uh, we don't get to have a week like we fashioned it or we planned it. It may mean that some weeks uh, in a month, in a, at least one week in a month, I am at the church an awful lot because I will have lined up those meetings. But I'm just saying that the hope here, the the uh, the encouragement is that it's not just up to me to skillfully weigh all these carefully wrought out concerns in such a manner that I won't trip and fall. I, I will fall, and I'm I'm just grateful that we've been freed up from this idolatry of this performance thing where I was scared to death of my own shadow, just so worried about it. Years ago, I had the chance to ask Billy Graham how in the world he balanced his priorities. He, being the father of a family, a big family, and having his tremendous global responsibilities, and he said, I don't have any answer except prayer. And in my life, I've discovered after too many years, I guess I should have learned it long ago, but. I don't really think you can make a hard and fast rule about anything like that. Uh, as you say, you you do your best to spend time with your family and do what you're supposed to do at the church, but there are the exceptions that probably come up practically every week, aren't there, where mm -hmm. something cha changes and you really expect that God is going to show you what to do. It's we a matter of prayer faith. and it's a matter of daily continual prayer, Lord, show me what to do today, help me to be faithful to my church, faithful to my family, faithful to my neighborhood, and all these other things. Well, I think I think the starting point, though, is the one that you, you really asked me about, and that, that is that, um, and, and this isn't very popular, I'm not expecting everyone to go huzzah when I say this, but uh, you, you've got to decide as a couple what is the most important? Because I'll never forget having freshly arrived here, a pastor came up to me and uh, he found out how many children we had. We had five at that time. And he says, Walt, you won't last a year here. And I said, what? What are you talking about? And he said, well, we only have two children because this ministry I am married to. And I said, well, wait a minute, where does your wife fit in this picture? He says, oh, she's right at my side, but we are married to this church. And I said, no, you want to break that down for me and help me here? And he said, well, you, you've got to decide. You're either going to succeed out here or land flat on your face, and you don't have time for a big family in this hmm. particular arena. But I really, I, I think it, it, is a, it is a tough choice that that couples have to make, and they have to make it prayerfully together because the pressure, uh, I think a lot of guys who are, who are having terrible marriage problems and their pastors are men who are uh, finding it much easier to be successful at the church than to really be given to that first calling. And I will guarantee you, there are a lot of people who will argue with that, they just won't agree. Well, I pray, when I pray for you, as I do every day, I just pray that the Lord will make you a faithful father, faithful husband, faithful pastor, and faithful friend. The Lord, as he frees us up from this bondage to being successful, he gives us the grace 
to simply walk by faith and, and believe that he is leading us one step at a time, that not only is he leading us, but from behind us, he's prompting us to do what seems to be the right step next. And so we're not so concerned. I know for many years I was most concerned about being a successful mother. And to me that meant having perfect children. And Walt was most concerned about being a successful pastor. And so there was this conflict um, all the time of I'm not making it, and he was saying he's not making it. And now, I've, as we've often said in the last three years, we feel like the Lord has shown us that our marriage and our love for our children and the grace that he can bring through us to them is more important than being successful, quote-unquote. And um, he simply wants us to be faithful. I believe with all my heart that it is always possible to do the will of God. And it is certainly God's will for you to be faithful to your family and faithful to your church. And I think only God can show you how to do that. Part five in our series, A Legacy of Love, The Family Comes First. Later on, we'll hear from Rachel Johnson, who serves as the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation's Creative Media Director. But right now, it's Frank Kohlinger, veteran Ecuadorian missionary, that talks about what's important to know about Elizabeth. I would think that it was just the dedication. Her messages today that are still broadcast are very valuable in content, very spiritual, very helpful very biblical and from a practical standpoint because she speaks from a lot of experience. And uh, I've heard some of those programs where she's telling experiences in Ecuador and uh, she'll use them to make applications as she has done with her books as well. So that I think is that people should know that anything that they hear from her or about her, her messages and writings are very valuable to the Christian world veteran Ecuadorian missionary Frank Kohlinger. Later on, Rachel Johnson, who serves as the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation Creative Media Director, has some thoughts for us. But right now, it's time to get to part six of A Legacy of Love. It's called Living Up to Expectations. Do you ever struggle to live up to those? This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliott, talking again today with Walt and Valerie Shepard, my son-in-law and daughter, parents of eight children. Walt, in our last talk, you were referring to the need to get away from aiming at success. And I think we need to be very careful as to what we mean by success. But here's a question for you. I, as a grandmother, observe very keenly everything that's going on in your house on the few occasions that I get to come to California. I've been in restaurants several times with you and your large family. When I could see the patrons in the restaurant, their hearts sinking when they would see this parade of little children coming in as though, what are we in for? And then I have been very gratified when on more than one occasion, either the waitress herself or some patron has actually stopped by the table at the end of the meal and said, what well-behaved children, or you can bring this crowd in here anytime you want to. So from that standpoint, there are many who would say you are a success 
in training your children. Certainly, you want to train your children. But when we're talking about success as the world sees it, success as Christ sees it, what would you say? Well, I think that the crucial matter is that uh, one does define his success, doesn't he? And the Bible does that so well for guys like me who, if I were to pick up a life verse for Jim Elliot, the one that drove the father-in-law, and that would be something like, he who does the will of God abides forever. Uh, that to me is success, just to do my job here. Sort out as well as I can, as well as I understand the scripture, as well as I understand the Spirit's leading in my life. What are my responsibilities? And to be able to say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this in the best way I can. Because the thing that I want to hear at the end of my life is, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into my Father's rest. I, I really want that. And to me... We're going to get some wonderful surprises in heaven about really successful people. That, to me, is what I'm after. I think that when I let my culture define what success is, I have a totally different story, totally different picture. So you would say a successful pastor, according to the culture's idea, especially in California, is to have a huge church with thousands of members. Isn't that California's idea of a successful church? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I'm just not... I'm but do, not... You, do you remember days or times in the past when you had hoped for people flocking to church to hear you preach? Surely. And uh, all I'm saying is I don't want to figure out what is driving other people. I'm just saying I know the temptations that I have and the, uh, the wrestling that goes on inside of me. And now I, I have just experienced a new liberty in terms of, of pursuing what I think God has called me to do and called me to be here. And I'm grateful that the congregation has encouraged this. It's so, think about it. In these last three years, we've had nothing but encouragement in this area. And it's just tremendously liberating. I think of Jesus' prayer just before he departed this earth. He prayed to his father and said, I have glorified thee on the earth, and I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. And as one of my friends says to me sometimes, God loves you, and everybody has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> and I dare say that in a public position like yours as a pastor, and there's a sense too, Val, I think, in which you're pretty visible in your neighborhood just because of the size of your family. Everybody can come up with a wonderful plan for your life, but you have to find out what God's priorities are. I think what had to happen in my life was I had to be rescued from the fear that drove me, uh, the fear of the people's loss of uh, respect for me or the people's uh, lack of, of affection for me. And uh, it's hard, but a pastor has got to be able to being so confident of the love of the Father for him, he's got to learn how to say to people, dear people, people he loves, with very high expectations for him, be able to say, I'm sorry, that that won't work. Uh, in the South, we have an expression that we use, this dog won't hunt. And uh, 
It's a powerful persuasion that has to happen when a man sees that he is justified by faith alone, not his works added to it, but by faith in Christ, the Lord Jesus, so that he can be able to reprioritize his life, add the dimensions to his life that the Lord wants him to have, rather than being sucked into this vortex of all these expectations. It, it's, it, it's, it's overwhelming. Can we talk a little bit about, speaking of expectations, what yours would be for your wife as a pastor's wife, what the church's expectations would be? Maybe Val can tell us what she thought she had to do as a pastor's wife. I think in Mississippi, I was definitely expected to be in the choir. I was definitely expected to be able to teach women's Bible studies. And I think they probably would have expected me to teach Sunday school also, although I didn't do that except on a substitute basis. But when we came out to California, we had a pulpit committee who was interviewing us and asking us how we saw our roles. And my husband made it clear, and I think I made it clear too, that since we had five children, most of my time was taken up with taking care of them and homeschooling. Therefore, the, the congregation, which was then 30 people, just couldn't expect me to be a secretary or to lead the music or to teach Sunday school regularly. And so I've been thankful that Walt has given me um, the go-ahead simply to stay at home and take care of our children. And uh, he has not expected me to be his secretary or do much extra in the church. Our main goal has been to be hospitable. And that is where Walt thinks we have a ministry together, having people in our home as regularly as possible. I think it's amazing that you actually have people over for Sunday lunch sometimes. I've never heard of a pastor's family that was able to invite people for Sunday lunch, but as I've observed the way you do it, Val, I, I just thank the Lord that you open your home in that way. And your expectations for the pastor's I think, wife? I think the, the, there's nothing wrong with the expectations that a congregation can have for a pastor and his wife. It's just whether you give in to all of them. That's that's where the pressure is. And I would say in all the years that we've been married, uh, the worst pressure has been from me until about three years ago. And I, I would say that uh, I have often put pressure on my family to behave in some manner because I was marching to someone else's drummer and... Uh, and to find out that this is what I was doing. I had the most interesting discussion with my oldest one night when I sat down with him about three years ago, and I said, I need to ask your forgiveness. He said, for what, Dad? And I said, well, I've just realized how much of the time I have spent raising you children up only to perform for other people's expectations or other people's assessments. And I've been unkind to your mom in this area, too. I've demanded a lot from her, way too much from her, because I was trying my best to make a lot of people happy. And he just looked at me stunned. And he said, Dad, I'm surprised because you seem like you are your own self. You're, 
you're completely at liberty to do the things just as you want them done. And I said, son, that's only because I've been very selective with showing you how freed up I am. And I said, son, I'm just learning how to be honest in this area, and I want your forgiveness. And he forgave me. But I would say that since then, it is much more freedom in which I as a dad or I as a husband operate now. And I'm very grateful because I, I know there are a lot of expectations placed on us. And we have to learn how to say no. And who is it we're trying to please? That's the crucial issue. Primarily, you know, it's for the Lord Christ. You serve the Lord Christ. Val, I think we've got maybe a minute left. Can you tell us anything else about your position as a pastor's wife? I feel that I've had more pressure from women in the church than I have from my own husband, actually. The women have expected me to, and I think probably all women feel this among women, that we all expect perfection or we expect women to to do everything well. And so maybe it was part of that whole problem of my wanting to be successful in their eyes as a perfect pastor's wife, being able to do everything that was expected of me in church and being a perfect mother and having very well-behaved children. I remember times of having the children in church at different times when I was very embarrassed because they weren't being perfect. And I realized it was not because I was trying to please the Lord, but I was trying to please people and I wanted them to think I was perfect by having well-behaved children. So there's definitely now more of an understanding of who do I want to please? Do I want to please the Lord or myself? Having said all of that, we've got no more time left except just to read this one verse from James 3. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And that gives me pause. I, it really does sober me because we are in a visible public position and we are therefore that much more responsible to be on our faces before God because we will be judged more strictly and it is right and proper that we should be judged more strictly. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about that next time. Thank you so much, Walton Val, for being with me this time. Living Up to Expectations, A Legacy of Love, Part 6. The series wraps up next week as we have A Legacy of Love 7 and 8. But we still have time today to hear from Creative Media Director for the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, Rachel Johnson. How would you describe the message of Elizabeth Elliott? I'm only, you know, 38, so I'm, I still consider myself probably younger than I actually am. Um, but I think that my generation and those younger than me, we need strong Christian women. There's kind of a gap in women that aren't afraid to speak biblical truth. And Elizabeth speaks it in such a way that surprisingly it is just, it is, it's so timeless. And I think that so many women listen to her um, and men too, um, but especially the female demographic, they listen to her and, and it's just, there's very few other Bible teachers out there um, that are just hitting so hard and hitting right to the core of the heart and right to the core of Scripture and presenting it 
the way that Elizabeth does. It's just, it's pretty, it's pretty neat to see. Rachel Johnson of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation. Thank you, Rachel. In Through Gates of Splendor, Elizabeth Elliott said, I have one desire now, to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all my energy and strength into it. Hey, let me thank you for letting us come into your home, your office, along with you as you got some exercise today, wherever we found you. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org for more talks, devotionals, videos, and more. elizabethelliot.org Hey, the next time you get a chance, leave a review about this podcast. JZC247 says, Amazing. This is such a rich podcast full of truth and encouragement. Highly recommend. Well, thank you very much. And thank you, friend, for spending some time with us today. Until next time, may God remind you daily that you're loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are what? Underneath are those everlasting arms.